Welcome to Full Metal RPG. I'm Richie Buzzkill. We are in the palatial states of the Hyatt Regency South Francisco Airport after Big Bad Con. Big Bad Con. I'm uh, clearly nasally because I'm in this like weird, humid environment. I don't know what's going on, but maybe we'll sound better. Anyway, Kayla. Kayla's here. What's up, Kayla? Hi, everyone. Um, Kayla Balancefer, and I have my husband on the show today. Hi, I'm Tyler, and I'm a giant nerd. We knew that. We didn't even have to. <laughs> I think your presence here is assumed. Yeah. But the presence that would never be assumed, that only has been mentioned in passing, but the lo- the one, the only, the lo- and she'd say the, o- the only, wait, what? <laughs> uh, the lovely Mrs. Buzzkill is here. Hello, everyone. Yes. So I... I brought my wife with me. You brought your husband with you. It's uh, and then we had like some guy named Woodfin that was running around, uh, saying really nasty stuff. <laughs> we sent him home before he could participate. Yeah, yeah, he got put in the penalty, uh, the penalty box to go home. So, <laughs> so like I said, we were here to uh, participate in the convention known as Big Bad Con. Uh, so I heard about this. Quite some time ago, even like 2018, I think I heard about Big Bad Con, but they have not had it since 2019 for reasons that we all are aware of. And we'll probably get into a little bit more here in a minute, but did I have no idea what you're talking about? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. When, did you when was it me babbling on about it or was it did you hear about it from somebody else oh it was definitely you and our slack situation um that i looked into it and i was like eh, that sounds fun we'll do that yeah uh and then obviously uh stephanie heard me babbling on about going to san francisco and she was in so <laughs> mrs buzzkill um and tyler uh, I'm assuming you just heard us talk about it in the Slack, right? Yeah, and to be honest, the the flights and the hotel rooms weren't too expensive comparatively. So right, well, it's so much easier to deal with that stuff when you're not going to Indianapolis. <laughs> well, and then the lack of you know forty thousand people flying in. Yes, yes, it was it was a much smaller con. I don't know what the numbers are, but I'm gonna guess in the like two fifty, maybe three hundred. That seems probably right. There was it was definitely not the giant con that you may be familiar with. Yeah, it it's a much smaller con. It's very much focused on RPGs, indie RPGs. Uh inclusiveness is a big thing here. Uh they had a lot of scholarships, they had a lot of bringing people in from like I had a game master from New Zealand and I had, <laughs> I had talked to some people from Southeast Asia and Mexico and a lot of other places you don't necessarily run into uh, at the bigger conventions. So they, I think they really succeeded in their main objective, which is getting people together to do to, to tell silly little stories. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that we all kind of saw the presence of their um, their person of color scholarship fund and like the the diversity that came along with that. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. Um, but uh, I think it, it's a nice little well. I mean, everybody was relatively pleasant uh, for one particular thing that we we all kind of are a little chafing under. But like um, some of us more literally than others. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, it. I I feel like uh, you, well, Mrs. Buzzkill, uh, you said to me that this is much more like a con you would like, right? This is yeah. It was smaller, and I felt like everyone was very welcoming. I, I feel like not only was there diversity of gender and race, but I feel like there was a lot of neurodiversity, which was 
comforting. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it was smaller and I didn't feel overwhelmed by large amounts of people ever. Like there was like enough room. Well, yes. And I think part of that has got to be, I mean, obviously this hotel is way bigger than the convention really needed. But part of that was also because I think they kind of planned the space, everything out for, you know, COVID safety. I feel like that was all the rooms, all the tables are very far apart. And all of the, you know, spaces are well, like a lot of rooms has had one table in it. I mean, these were, these were suites like hotel suites that the con just had. And then actually full metal RPG had a name on one of these suites. Cause I donated, uh, for, in our name. <laughs> yeah. Um, funny enough, I found out about that when I showed up to the room and I was like, Oh, Hey, full metal RPG podcast. That's us. I could have sworn I, was I like, mentioned this. So just go ahead and, uh, shut the door and I'm going to take a picture of that real quick. Or if you want to be in this picture, that's fine too, but I'm taking a picture. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, we also, donated some money to the scholarship fund as well. So the scholarship fund to have our name, have an ego, ego trip, having the name on the door and people like, Oh yeah, I heard, I saw your name on a, on a door. So it wasn't just you. It was like, cause I, I was also handing out some of the full metal RPG dice to people I played with. Uh, when we were like, Oh, you need some dice. Here you go. Across the table, like a cool, i put sunglasses on after for no reason <laughs> i use some of those dice got the full metal rpg logo to pop up a couple of times nice. so that's the they six were working pretty good six, six. <laughs> um yeah so like the only thing that like i get why they were doing it but and everyone had to take a covid test before they could get to registration yeah, I got the lovely opportunity to take another COVID test because I got an email saying, hey, you were potentially exposed to COVID because one of the players um, in your Games on Demand slot tested positive for COVID. So uh, uh, I'm not certain how that even works, but OK, well, I'm glad that you got to stick a thing up your nose twice. And that was fun, I'm sure. Yeah, um, still negative. So that was great. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, and then we had to wear masks the entire time. And oh, not just any masks. We got the glorious upgrade to the KN95s. Yeah, that was... Uh, yeah, let me tell you, with the full beard I'm in right now, even without the full beard, I'm, I'm sure you will both... Both the, the ladies here will both say, that was itchy. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I think that the guys may have been the only ones experiencing the itchy problem. I don't know. Mrs. Buzzkill can, can chime in, but uh, I didn't have that issue. Uh, we are waiting to see if the mask face situation returns with the skin issues that it brings with it. But so far, so good. Yeah, I, I got itchy. Uh, like, I think it was probably like being sweaty or like from my own breath on my face in the mask for right. hours. But, <laughs> but yeah, Tyler had a very specific uh, encounter that right after, basically at the end of the con, right? You got told that you needed to put your mask back on. Yeah, <clears throat> we were supposed to have masks in all of the actual convention areas. And I was sitting at a, at a table next to the cafe, the hotel cafe, uh, literally next to just regular hotel guests. And someone from the con had asked that I put my mask on in between drinks of my hot tea that I was sipping. And I obliged, but it's one of those things where you roll your eyes. Sure. I, I, I think it was a little overzealous. I get why you would do it this year. I don't think if I read that they're going to do it next year, then I probably not. I mean, as much fun as I had, like I had a lot of fun. Don't let me, cause we're about to talk about all the games we played and you'll find out about all the fun I've had, but I don't think I would want to do that again. Like, for one game, it's fine, but, like, doing it for 12 hours a day is a little much. Yeah, um, I am definitely looking forward to the day when we can, like, all hang out and be together and have these games without the mask situation, especially um, during one of the days I ran for eight hours and was my voice was gone trying to, like, yell over the crowd and make sure that uh, everyone could hear what I was saying with those masks over my face. Yeah. 
So there's enough bitching about masks. Uh, <laughs> but I'm not an anti-masker. I just think that maybe they were a little overzealous. That's all. Yeah, we swear. Follow the CDC guidance. Um, you know, take take precautions for the pandemic. But yeah, this one may have been a little overkill. And I'm, I'm glad that we can include the immune deficient in the games. But it's like if we all took our tests... <laughs> I'd be willing to take even more tests to not have to wear them more often, but you know, absolutely. And quick shout out to uh, games on demand. They are going to do another online, um, online games on demand situation in February. For those of you that are immunocompromised and are looking for online game participation. Very cool. Well, that, that sounds like a lot of fun. Hopefully I can work that into the old schedule. Um, so we were here to play games. Uh, actually, I'm going to ask Miss Buzzkill, Mrs. Buzzkill, what game did you start with? Or we, I'm going to list all the games I played, but if let's start with the one that's like your top one. Yeah. Uh, the top game that I played was Kayla's game, uh, Black Bluebeard's Bride. Um, it was, yeah, it was very intense and, and, uh, I think it was a great experience. Awesome. I'm super glad that you had fun. You know, I know that they've talked about um, Bluebeard's Bride on on the show before, um, and I ran that particular incident too. So, you know, why traumatize your friends once when you can traumatize them multiple times? (laughs) Traumatize all your friends. That's the most important part is just like really make sure. Um, So you've played other – We to put a little background because Mrs. Buzzkill hasn't been on here before. But you have played, I ran a whole Apocalypse World campaign, you were in that, you've been a few other RPGs, but this is kind of like, you were doing a lot of gaming independent of me. Normally I'm like, say, hey, let's play this thing, you know, so how was that? How was, uh, you know, was the diverse nature of the the games a little more enticing to you than? Yeah, um, you know, like I said, I felt really comfortable here and I felt um able to be myself and just relax um Richard's my or Richie Buzzkill is my (laughs) support person uh in public situations instead of a support animal I have a support husband yeah I have a little vest and everything Mm. it's fine do not pet the the support husband he's working yeah (laughs) (laughs) um but here I felt comfortable just being um on my own and uh, didn't need the support husband. Oh, okay. And and in this game of Bluebird's Bride, were, which uh, aspect did you play? Oh, I played the witch. Nice. I also played the witch when I played, which is cool. What kind of, uh, was there any particular moment that was really creepy or outstanding that you want to talk about maybe? Uh, yeah, the, the bathroom or bathhouse was majorly intense and definitely gave me a shiver of fear (laughs) um but uh yeah the whole game was very um you know I think we played with a really good group and there was like a lot of discussion between all aspects of the bride and uh everybody was really present um so I think that made it a very intense but um fulfilling experience yeah i agree all of the players were really good about um the sisters were good about talking to each other and kind of like processing through what was going on um with each other and kind of like being devil's advocate to each other almost Mm -hmm. um which was giving me even more things to be able to like tie in and twist and uh, you know generally creep everyone out oh really scratching on paper really Uh uh-huh scratching on paper (laughs) there was a bit of that yes i was sitting right next to kayla so i i cheated a little and looked over at her notes (laughs) it's like um the my favorite thing with bluebeards is when you shiver with fear you have to tell the per you have to tell the groundskeeper you know what you're afraid will happen and then the groundskeeper has to respond with how it's actually worse than that mm. and so like you're already freaked out let me tell you why i'm freaked out and then like have you tell me the like 
even worse situation. And now like I'm either taking trauma or I'm going to like keep the ring and sit with this horrible, awful thing that's going on. Right. Well, that, yes, that, that is a very intense game and I'm glad that it is kind of gained traction because I think there's some really important stuff about that. Yeah. I had a lot of people come up and um, were pretty excited to see that it was on the menu or available. I actually think I may have been the only person running Bluebeards here at the convention. Um, so I ran it two nights, so I only got two groups through, but, um, actually one of the authors Strix, um, she was one of the sponsors for the, uh, person of color. Like she was one of the people that helped to coordinate all of that. So I didn't see her around or about, but, um, I'm not sure if she was here or not. Yeah, I think there were a lot of people here that I didn't see because of everything being so spread out that I would like to have met or at least said hello to. So, but, you know, I did I did shout out to uh, Mike, one of the guys in the podcast club that I run, that I was like, oh, hey, you're here. <laughs> so that was fun. Uh, didn't get to get any dinner with him, but uh, it was fun to run into somebody. I was like, oh, hey, that was unexpected. So cool, cool. Well, um, uh, Tyler. Yes. Uh, So you ran some games and you played some games. Yes. Uh, What game did you kind of like really enjoy playing or did you... Running is playing. Let's just be honest, unless you're... It's really bad, but... And the games I chose to run were fairly... GMless, so at least one of them actually was actually GMless. So I was more facilitating, and then the other one was a GM, but it was it was pretty pretty light. So I made myself a, a nice easy lift for this this con. Okay, okay. So what did you did you uh, you know? I think you you ran die laughing, right? That was the yeah. That's the GMless one, right? And we uh, played as like a beta game on Thursday. Yeah, I hadn't ran it before, um, and I was looking for mostly to get down the timing. Um, it was interesting because with die laughing, um, you're all you're all going to die at the end of it, right? And you are basically as the for purposes of a two hour con game, you're mostly trying to handle your pacing, and so we have to kind of balance how quickly you die. <laughs> yeah, and. Um, that's all based on how fast you go through scenes. And so with the four of you, I think the timing was dead on. It was going to work perfectly at about an hour and 45 minutes. When I ran it for games on demand, I was at six people mm. and it, I had to like kept shoving more people into scenes just so I could <laughs> have them die off quicker. Uh, quick, so, get it, quick, get in the, the wood chipper. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's a, it's a, uh, a horror movie simulator basically right, right. oh yeah I, I should probably describe the game yeah die <laughs> laughing is a uh, a comedy horror uh and basically everyone is taking part as a character in a horror movie um the ultimate goal of the the game is everyone's going to die at the end maybe except for one person um and you are trying to create the most ridiculous hilarious and uh horror trope laden uh story as possible and, and for those of you that are listening later, this happened over basically Halloween weekend. So like we're, we're, uh, you know, right in prime horror movie season. So. Right. It's part of the reason why I chose this one. Well, and then the other game I, I ran was rest in pieces, which, uh, won in any for, I think it was the best new system this mm, year. Okay. Um, or maybe they were, I don't remember. I think it was the, the game mechanic but I'm not 100% certain on that. Yeah, it was either system or mechanic. I'm not 100% certain either. Uh, it's a fantastic um, game. It uses a Jenga tower, which is played, Dread. obviously. People have done that before. Yeah. Uh, however, this is you're playing a characters in basically a sitcom. Think of like Always Sunny in Philadelphia. A really good one is like to describe as like the regular show. I don't know. Right, regular show's great. Um, all right. So you're, you're all... <laughs> And I like to play it with with like cartoon physics turned on, right? <laughs> so things are a little bit more a little bit more slapstick, I guess. Maybe, well, not quite slapstick, not full Looney Tunes, but you know, Rick and Morty cartoon physics type thing. And you are all roommates in the 
basement apartment, a single studio basement apartment, uh, shared with the Grim Reaper. And nice. that goes into uh, horrible, crazy antics. Uh, you're all deadbeats, and so you're just kind of terrible people in general. What's awesome, though, is that your Jenga tower has two different colored blocks, white blocks and black blocks. And when you want to do something that's in the best interest of the other roommates and yourself, so it's fairly selfless, you pull a white block. And when you want to do something that's just in your own best interest, it's selfish, you pull a black block. What is intentionally not said to the players ahead of time is the black blocks are very slightly shaved compared to the white blocks and so are significantly easier to pull. I see. And you're only allowed to touch one block, right? And you have to pull that one. So okay, unlike the way I usually play Dread. Anyways, because uh, <laughs> we just must much to the frustration of the two GMs that love to play run Dread is like we're like why are you, why is this thing not knocking over? So you dragged a this special Jenga tower all the way back across the country to run this game. Yeah, it was funny because one of the uh, other people running Games on Demand wanted to run Dread. And they're like, oh, I heard you had a Jenga tower. Can I use your Jenga tower? I'm like, that's not going to play well. For, yeah. I mean, for I, I think it would work. You just whether or not they knew the mechanic, right? Right. The the fact that there are the blocks is, is yeah, it would be a little tough. So uh, they ended up getting a Jenga tower from someone else. So it's well, fine. Yeah, most Jenga towers are kind of like that anyways. It's just they're not marked. <laughs> right. Well, very cool. Um, was there any kind of death in either of those games that was particularly spectacular that you want to? Um, so honestly, in Die Laughing, only one player died. Uh, everyone else was very, very close, but we ran and ran all the way up to the two-hour mark. The one player that died, um, <laughs> I think they were might have been a little bit singled out, but which was fine. In Die Laughing, you become a producer after you die, and so you can kind of turn the screws in other players at after you've died. Um, they kind of got singled out because their character trope was um, the uh, killer's helper or the monster's helper. Oh, yeah. Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah. And so they were the first one to die. They died in Act 2. But, um, yeah, I, I don't I don't think their death was particularly uh, remarkable. I think that the, uh, the monster might have... Their cartoon physics piece uh, was basically Ragdoll. And so the monster grabbed them and ragdolled them around. Uh, <laughs> the the piece I, I forgot to mention is my monster was a gigantic eight foot tall foghorn leghorn that was hunting everyone. <laughs> I swear, boy, I swear. <laughs> Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very cool. Oh, okay, okay. That that sounds like a fun weekend to me. Um, Kayla, would you want to? talk about like a very any specific game you ran or played um well real quick i will mention i was running bluebeards was it last night i think and um i'm like trying to focus on this very serious game and like listening to a description and tyler's table is two tables over from me mm -hmm. and all of a sudden what i don't know what was going on but i hear someone broke tyler last night <laughs> they broke him in he's just dying and i'm like okay i don't know what's happening over there but the gm is out for a minute <laughs> yeah it I, I would share the joke it's probably not safe for a podcast but suffice it to say that players are creative and hilarious that was in rest in pieces though so okay well hey that is an awesome occasion because that doesn't happen very often so yeah but um Let's see. I ended up running games on demand. How many hours? I did 12 hours this con. Um, so I had two two-hour slots. One um, one group ran through Knights of Underbed. Um, the other group played in Junior Brave Survival Guide. And so I had this dichotomy of like these super child-appropriate games um, <laughs> that are like PG-13 at the most, and then running Bluebeard's Bride, which is like, if I were to give it a rating, it would be not rated because it would not pass a rating. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I had the opportunity, which games did I actually get in? I ran or I played in Heart, which I still don't really know if I fully even understand that game. So. <laughs> well, I, I would like to talk about that, but maybe not. <laughs> Why you don't understand what... 
Um, so I think that there's just like a lot of lore that goes on. And of course I didn't know the whole background of the game. I was just like, cool, I'll sign up for that. Tyler actually picked that one out for us to, to go check out. Um, and it seemed like a really cool like concept or like a really cool back lore, but because it's a very big book for like a one shot, we didn't get into that. And then I got, I got this character sheet that, um, was kind of piecemealed together and didn't really have like any connection to the rest of the pre-gen characters. So I was just a little bit lost most of the time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. When, when you go into a lore heavy game at a con, like the, the story you're telling should be very like light on lore <laughs> and just like feature it for those that know, or, you know, it's going to be a car trick car crash <laughs> yeah so um and that was that was a nine o'clock game so i don't even know if my brain was like fully awake and processing information when that happened um but yeah it was it was just i didn't understand fully what was going on so i think it could be a cool system i think i'd like to read more it just was a little over my head for this uh particular weekend um and then home by dark I got to play in. Um, that was in our sponsored room. Oh, and, okay. Uh, that was a lot of fun. So it is very similar in storyline to Kids on Bikes, um, but not in mechanics. So it was kind of cool. It used like a um, dice pool system. Okay. Um, and then like the dice pools would grow or shrink depending on your successes or your failures. And so the powered character um, has a dice pool that you're trying to grow to help you. And there is the like overarching danger um, that is happening. And that dice pool you're trying to shrink so that you can overcome that danger. And then there is the like bad guy the pursuer um and you're trying to shrink that dice pool as well um we got a little confused on the rules to start off with so our bad situation dice pool grew exponentially (laughs) um, very quickly (laughs) until uh the gm like reread the rule and he's like oh we've been doing that wrong (laughs) um pivot um yeah because that sounds very much like the uh Star Wars Edge of the Empire series of games where like the dark side and the light side, you kind of like move, you have dark side and light side points. And as you do things with the light side points, they become dark side points kind of thing. So it was a little bit like that where you're doing things and you're kind of like depowering the dark side by like. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Um, so at the very end, basically you have to do like a roll off of like your dice plus the powered characters dice and then like distribute those between the, um, the dark forces and the bad guy or the pursuers, um, and see if your role can beat the dice pools that they have. Um, and like there's two, it's very dice heavy. Um, you need a lot of D six to like get when you get to the end, but use one color to represent hope. Um, and you use one character or one color to um, represent responsibility. And at max, your character can get three dice to use for themselves. Um, and you go around like the table and select two dice to start off with. Um, so if you end up with two hope, you end up playing a child. So you're very like low on responsibility, high on hope. And that, so that's the character I ended up playing. And if you end up with t- with a hope, and a responsibility, you end up being a, playing a teenage character. And if you end up with two responsibility, you play an adult character. Um, so that's kind of how they determine what age you're going to be. And then um, there's no actual character sheet. So it's just all like you make it all up with the narration of things. You get to narrate some like important locations. You get to narrate some important items. So each person lists uh, an item that you can pull into play um, like to get bonus dice for things and a location to get bonus dice for things. Um, You also come up with a fear and an insecurity, which others can play to like complicate the situation for you a little bit. So it was really cool. Um, We, we had a really fun storyline that our like powered character was this ghost girl that 
got caught in a temporal anomaly and uh we've decided that the lore is that once you like your person goes through the temporal anomaly like that's what turns you into a ghost so okay. you kind of like glitch in and out of reality um but we ended that with sending this like old toyota that's been rigged all to sci- mad scientist Science. to go Science. yes to to key in the exact time to send this this futuristic girl back to her correct timeline and um so we sent that back through the temporal anomaly and our roles ended up making it so that like we closed all of the temporal anomalies but granted this was after some mass major disasters including the high school getting caught in an a like exploded opened up temporal anomaly because we were really bad at science aka we were really bad at our roles and we mm. we fucked some stuff up well <laughs> a loss of a high school is no big deal trust me they get they got plenty of those no big deal did you like it um more or less or what specifically about it did you like compared to kids on bikes um, I really liked that we were like collaboratively narrating where the story was going, which is a little bit different than kids on bikes. You do get to like build the world on kids on bikes, but you don't necessarily build the storyline in kids on bikes. Um, in kids on bikes, the storyline is created by the GM and you kind of work to discover what that is. Of course, the GM can be really like just roll with the punches and change things, but it was fun to get to kind of like create the storyline together and kind of like edit each other as we went along, um, to tell that story. So I did like that a lot. Of course, my biggest complaint with kids on bikes is the um, powered character and like the mechanics around it. So I'm kind of waiting to see with this new kids on bikes, the Kickstarter version is out right now. Yeah. Kind of waiting to see if they're going to like fix that or tweak it or make it like more manageable. Having character sheets makes like the pre-gen side of things a little easier, but it is kind of cool to just like narrate a character into existence with the rest of the people at the table. Yeah. Without that front, uh, loading of like doing all the world building is just just like, yeah, we're kids. Uh, you're an adult. We're kids. We're all in the situation. And we're gonna kind of flap our arms and make up a world. And this is the this is the place we live in. I mean, it sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, uh, I think, yeah, it, that sounds a little bit to me. That's a little better than kids on bikes. But like, I can understand why both exist and why would you you would pick between one or the other but i'm gonna have to i'll have to uh look a little bit more into that one so yeah i think that our group that um we do our saturday night games with um would really dig the the home by dark system um they probably would like that even more i think than the kids on bikes um so i think we would probably lean towards that um but I think that like there's a time and a place for that system too. Like with the Junior Bride Survival Guide to the Apocalypse, that uses the same system as Kids on Bikes, um, but you don't have the powered character to deal with. And I feel like when you pull that powered character out, that makes things a lot less complicated. Right. So the storyline's a little easier to run. Yeah, I think that that is something that maybe you kind of the the power character does make it a little more difficult in kids on bikes. And I can see that being a lot more fun. Um, yeah. Well, that, that sounds like fun. Yeah. Oh, and for my very last game today, I got to play in thirsty sword lesbians. Oh, well, that's, that's very cool. What, what did yeah, you that guys... was, um, that was definitely an interesting experience. I didn't really know what to expect going in because for the longest time I was really hung up on the name of the thing like it just comes off as a little bit offensive at first and then you like get into it and you're like oh okay this is like not coming from like a shitty place and this isn't like some really horrible thing that has been put together by horrible people it's um it does sound exploitative yes (laughs) i'm like this yeah this comes off um in a way, but yeah, it's definitely not that. I didn't know that it was powered by the apocalypse. Oh, okay. Um, so that was an interesting discovery. The person that ran it um, ran a very LGBTQIA plus um, 
situation. Like that's what they had put together. So that was interesting. It kind of ended up being like a little tropey and fun and kind of lighthearted. The, the table expressed that they'd rather be at like a PG 13 lighthearted level of a situation. And so, um, trying to remember what the names of the places that we were from were it was like uh the bad guys in the storyline were like from heteronormia and um (laughs) i think that yeah the the good guys so like our characters were all from queertopia um and so we were all like we all had these uh mech bot suit things that uh that our characters used to fight. And so that was kind of interesting. Um, and then like, we just got into like the narration of what that would look like and that sort of thing. So it wasn't like, I don't know. I was just a little concerned about like the, the like flirtations and such. Cause that's not normally a game that I would play in. Um, but I feel like the way that it was presented made it a little easier for me to like wrap my head around it. Um, and the table that I played at was great. So the, the GM was really good and prepared and like kind of rolled with everything. Um, they let us be really like customizable (laughs) with our mech suit. So I was running around with this mech suit. Um, I can't remember the trope I was playing or the character sheet, but, uh, basically, uh, oh, the chosen, that's what it was classified as. Um, but basically I had an entourage, which I kind of referred to as my cult. <laughs> right. And so uh, my entourage got to be in the mech suit with me. And so when they asked, you know, well, what does that look like? I'm like, well, you know, I've got like my mech suit completely bedazzled because of course I do, because I'm like the center of attention and um, they are my skirt. So <laughs> they're all like pieces of my skirt. And then when I had to go into like sneak mode, I like had them transform so that one of them came up and was a bustier and the other two were like pants um, so that we could sneak around without the skirt on. And, <laughs> <laughs> so, and then she let me have uh, uh, like turn my gun into a bedazzler gun and violently bedazzle people. Mm. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up a copy of Thirsty Sword Lesbians, uh, probably next time I see it at a, a local game store because it's everywhere now. So the uh, book is so pretty. I was like just enamored by like the having the physical book because I have the PDF copy right. of it that I picked up from some itchio yeah fundraiser thing, um, but. Yeah, no, the book has like very iridescent pages on it. So there's like, it's like pink fades to orange. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I almost like want the physical copy just to have the pretty. Yeah, it's it's part of that whole art book movement, I think. Uh, art- I'm here for the art book movement. Yeah, no, I am too. Um, ah, yes. Um, so the... Uh, Oh, I can't remember what the name of that company is, but um, they uh, they put out Baby Bestiary and they have, um, oh, my husband is kind enough to have pulled it up. Um, Metal Weave Games was had a table. So the vendor hall was very tiny. If you were looking for a con for a vendor hall, this is probably not your con. But but they had the most important booth. Most they did. Of the Indie Press Revolution bo- yes. booth that was here and representing, and I spent way too much money at the Indie Press Revolution book mo- Same. booth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I will be posting on the Discord about all the shit I bought and some of the cool stuff. Like, I got one, just one shout out, uh, Ten- Tenska uh, Sentai, which is a Mexican designed and authored RPG about Aztec Sentai Power Rangers. So... Uh, I'm going to I'm going to try and get those guys on the show. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, um the the uh Metal Weave Games had that like they did the stuffed Albert plushy thing a while ago. They are they're adorable. I'm still waiting on mine because the the shipping I'm, if you backed them, you know the shipping has been like insane with the stupid pandemic. Did you did you almost run and grab one and run away? <laughs> I really wanted to. My shipping's done. 
I have delivered to myself. Ha ha ha. (laughs) This is mine now. Um, But yeah, they had a little, well, they've done a couple of them now, but the baby bestiary books. So I picked those up for my kiddos games because they're pet collectors. They're preteens that want to go around and collect all of the animals. That's just what they do in D and D. And so I picked up that so that I can have fun and interesting pets for them to come across. Um, They may or may not be able to have them in their character sheet, but they're super cute at least to look at at the table. Baby beholder. Terrifying. Just don't do it. They had like a baby gelatinous cube in there. I'm like, uh, I don't, I don't know if you should keep that as a pet. That sounds like the dessert my grandmother used to make. <laughs> it had all these weird things in it, and it was a gelatinous slab on the table. But Maybe yeah. she was raising gelatinous cubes. That would explain the basement. Anyways, uh, yeah, so that, that sounds like a great time. Uh, I played was where, where I was at three, six, seven games. Yeah. Uh, and I think the one that like sticks out in my head the most is Fedora Noir. Okay. So this is one of these, like, it's a very much a collaborative storytelling game. Uh, one person is playing the detective. You're, you're doing a noir, whatever that means. You can be a cyber noir. You can be a Western noir. You can be a, a suburban noir, we played a 1940s noir because people are basic, but I'm cool with it. I'm, I'm down with it. It's fine. I played uh, Detective Sullivan. Uh, and one of the things you... you ha- the, the, the gimmick in this game, because there's four roles and it's a very specific. I don't think you can play more than four people in this game. Uh, but there are four roles. The detective, the flame... You know, the femme fatale or uh, men fatale, whatever you want to call them, right? Uh, and the the partner. And the one that I am so disappointed you didn't play. The hat. Okay. So what you're thinking, why would you play? You want to play the hat? Well, the hat gets to do all the scene chew, chew, chewing, uh, background uh, overlay vocals that the detective is thinking. So the detective, when they're doing this, is trying to balance between what the hat is saying and what the detective wants to get done. And there's a lot of smack talk by the by the hat. And and uh, some no no the the first guy to choose pick the hat. So I had I had little to no choice but to go detective. You got edged out of the hat. Yeah, I did. I so did. would you say it was a sassy hat? It was a very sassy hat because there was like, you know, the flame would walk in. It's like, why does she always do that to me? And what she knows more than she knows more than than she's letting on. And I was like, well, yeah, no, but I'm gonna try and draw her out. So I would just be like, well, didn't didn't you like? have something to do with this, trying to like draw out some information. And, um, yeah, the, the, it was, it was a, it was a heck of a lot of fun. We did a whole new horror movie in an hour and a half. There was no violence actually on screen, all of the violence. And, and we weren't lines unveiling violence. It just happened to be that I love describing like the aftermath more than actually trying. So I went to talk to some mobsters, on an island where they were smuggling. And then the next scene, I'm sitting in a, in a, in a diner. And then I, after, at the end of the scene, I raise my hand up and I've got like a giant bandage on my hand where they've like cut my hand or the next time I get thrown out of a really fancy restaurant. When I go to confront this guy, it's it just a shadow a door opens and you see a shadow and, and just like my character just getting tossed uh, she's she just gets tossed into the into the alleyway, or like a motorcycle comes up and shoots the tire of my car, and you see my car spin off the <laughs> highway, kind of thing. So I, I I think that was yes, but it, it was very noir without it. Still, you could be in the comics code kind of thing. It was just it was just fun and doing it an hour and a half because otherwise you start getting into like negotiating like what kind of violence and what kind of. You know, it's like, oh, we, we only get two hours. We got to bust through this. So it was a lot of fun. That was that was definitely like one of the, the best games I played. Um, 
But I, I mean, Mrs. Buzzkill has been being very patient over here. Was was there any other games you wanted to talk about that you played? Um, I I played. I don't even remember. I played a board game that I really liked. Spirit Island. Spirit Spirit Island. Yeah, that- I I love the cooperative board games, and it was a good one. Yeah, fighting the fighting the colonist colonizing agents as the spirits of the island. And I think that's one thing we didn't mention. There was a like board game hall. So like not only were board games being ran, but you could like go up and grab a board game and just sit and play if you didn't get into a game or whatever. So there was some board game representation. I think this was definitely more of an RPG situation where like oh, that yeah. was the sign up stuff, but there was the opportunity for the board game lovers to get their board game fix in. Right. And I, I, I I always give the advice whenever I'm talking to anybody that's like, oh, I want to run a con and I want to do RPGs. They inevitably go, oh, I'm going to also have board games. And you should have some sort of board game library. But I feel like, and they really do focus on RPGs here, right? But that's what I feel like there's, we got the giant cons covered. Like if you want to be the big con, you're going to need a lot of money to get to that PAX level or that Gen Con level or, you know, uh, corn on the cob or whatever uh, level. You need a lot of money to get there, a lot of runway, a lot of luck to be in the right place at the right time to get those facilities that won't screw you over. Not that I'm bitter about that at all. Um, But, uh, yeah, so... I really appreciate them focusing on this and not trying to make board games like the as big as RPGs. Like it should be organic, and that's uh, and it was good good to have uh, a you know that as kind of like a thing people can do in between times because there was only really three slots a day. There was the nine a.m. to one p.m., the two p.m. to five p.m. 6 p.m. Yeah, I'm terrible at numbers right now because I had a few beers. Anyways, uh, and then uh, the uh, then it was two hour break, and then another slot. So, uh, and the, there were some two hour games that happened during that time, and I think that was one of my one of my small complaints about games on demand is they didn't have the two hour slot on the schedule. So if you were running the second two-hour slot like Tyler was, I don't think a lot of people knew that they were doing that. And that maybe, you know, that's, that sh- they should add that to the schedule, really. That would be one piece of feedback I'm probably going to give them. But Yeah, but on scheduling, they did print our schedules on our badges, which was awesome. Yeah, somebody, somebody knows how to use access databases and download all of the information off their website and r- use that to... Because I've done a little bit of this, and let me tell you, it is non-trivial. It is non-trivial to match someone's badge, especially a front and back print, <laughs> to uh, get that out printed. That was really cool. I only really signed up for one game on the actual schedule, so it wasn't a huge benefit to me. Yeah, they um they put my games I was running on there too though. So like oh, I knew where I was supposed to be when I was GMing, which was helpful. Right. That is really that is really nice. Um and I also and and then like like yeah, so I played Die Laughing. I I got to play Dialect finally. How was that? So Dialect is this game where you're building a language together. So you're like a community that's building a language. And it's the rise and fall of that community in that language, basically, essentially. It was not as like esoteric as I would have thought when describing that, because we actually played essentially Blades in the Dark, uh, a, a, a gang from Blades in the Dark. Uh, to, so we were uh, we were the Mockingjays. We were based out of a comedy club and kind of a neo-Victorian kind of like. Uh, uh, city and uh, so all of our words were kind of like were meant to sound like something you would hear said around such a thing so like the cheap seats were like the the people you know we weren't messing with the cheap seats we're always messing with the with front row right we're always calling in the front row right stuff like that so um, so it was a little more 
all, when you're that corral that idea, and it's in it's one of the base play play sets in the book. I think it was a really good idea to kind of corral it like that because I always imagine like trying to make up an alien language, right, or a or like a very a subculture language that's much more esoteric. But this was just us being criminals trying not for the authorities and other criminals to understand what we're talking about. Right. Yeah, the classic. Did you pick up the groceries? Right. You wrote a thieves' camp. Effectively, it was the thieves' camp. I think that's what even the module was called, the thieves' camp. But uh, one of my favorites was they we we had a a tete a tete with one of the other uh, uh, other gangs, and we called it a mixer. And then we don't want to have a middle school situation. That's that you know where no one wants to mix. So. Yeah, you know. <laughs> everyone at the table like was immediately knew exactly what I meant. Well played. Yeah, uh, that was one of my favorite uh, uh, what things I come up with during that. But uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, it's it's very, very like oh we're 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 you know Ocean's Eleven, <laughs> Peaky Blinders was probably closer to what we were actually doing. Um, so very cool. Yeah, we uh there was a lot of chatter in in the uh geek therapy discord that I'm in, like all of the nerd therapists were talking about dialect. The no one had played it yet, but was like, Oh, this concept sounds cool, like someone should play it or run it or like talk about it so we know if it's any good. Right. Well I, I'm now that I've played it, because I've had it for I kickstarted, I've had it forever, but like now that I've played it, I feel like especially that one would be super easy for people to pick up. Because that was kind of, it was always pitched to me and I always loved the idea. It was like this linguistics game, right? But it's also that that same problem I have with a lot of stuff where it's like, man, this is such a heady concept. Like, I love this concept so much. It has to be on my shelf. Am I ever going to convince anyone to play it? And the answer is invariably... He says looking directly at his wife. Well... No, no. So, like, I try not to, like, you know, uh, get too esoteric about RPGs in her general direction. I was just using her as the audience. But, you know. Uh-huh. But we did play Apocalypse World, and she played the, you were the psyker, right? The, yeah, the, the, and so she was playing a pretty esoteric character, like, right off the bat. So that was, uh, but... I think you anyone could play dialect the way it was laid out, and the it, it has a lot of the cards are integral. You need the cards as prompts, so that's going to be the thing I'm going to have to figure out whether there's a digital version so we can play it in the Saturday Night Crew, or if I have to play it in person. Yeah, cool. Uh, sounds like I'm going to be picking up a copy real soon. Yeah. So yeah, I mean I look. I, yeah, dialect. Fall of Delta Green. We play Tyler and I play Fall of Delta Green. Uh, we three mildly uh, for, service former service member and two uh, military history nerds walk into a, a Fall of Delta Green game about uh, going to Laos <laughs> in the American Vietnam War. Yeah, the only <laughs> downside was I had to play uh, someone in the Air Force. Ugh. ah inner service rivalry continues to this day yes well uh, we should have probably switched characters so what you're telling me is you were living the dream uh yeah probably (laughs) (laughs) well we were all in the shit together that's That's true the the, it wasn't like he was getting just in the air force and getting to stay back in the air-conditioned tents while we were in the shit doing something else right so we did go and it was it it's one of those games where you learn a history lesson of, oh, yeah, the Americans said we did not send military into Laos. Oh, by the way, we took we paid Lockheed Martin to deploy a radar station onto this mountain in Laos. So, like, uh, uh, by a bunch of uh, Air Force, uh, ex-Air Force uh, uh, service members. So... <laughs> So what you're saying is Lockheed Martin deployed troops. Well, it was Lockheed. No, Lockheed. Oh, okay. I might have said Lockheed Martin, but it was Lockheed. Yes. But yes, they they hired a bunch of service members to L- L-85. Uh, Battle of Lima Site 85, yeah. also called Battle of 
not even going to try. Right. Yeah, that's um, a <laughs> Laos word. Uh, yeah. Laosian, uh, yeah. Laosian word, yes. Um, it was really cool. The um, GM for Fall of Delta Green knew his stuff. He like knew, he was legit. Holy <laughs> cow. Um, I, I know that uh, Woodfin is quite the the nerd when it comes to... We call him Mr. Wikipedia. When he comes on, he's going to be Mr. Wikipedia, by it's, the way. He knows a lot about planes, but I think that he was eclipsed by this oh, GM. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, and, and this guy was very, very good at at getting the, the feel down and, and really making it real in that military sense, but also kind of real in that, like, shit's gone wrong. <laughs> yeah, we got to see um, gorgeous, psychedelic-colored jellyfish, horrible, evil monsters that would just, you know... Send a tentacle through your face and mess with your brain. Yeah, basically, you they couldn't attack you till they saw you, and then that was only it could only see you. We could only see them when the the radar was misaligned. <laughs> so we may or may not have been sending bad spirits into Hanoi that was 160 miles away. Anyways, <laughs> we will not speak of war atrocities. Yeah, it was not a war uh, crime that we stopped by blowing up our own shit. Uh, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, just like I played Goth Court, which... Is, is one of those improv games that it's based... Ghost Court was the first one. Goth Court was the second one. It's basically an improv game where goths and normal people sue each other in Goth Court. It's the Judge Judy uh, as, a, as, a, as an improv game. Like, so everybody rotates roles, and I was Judge Buzzkill, and I ruled in favor of the artist, <laughs> who is felt like they were being slandered for their stuff being called goth when they were making everything out of rat femurs. So did you even hear the case or did they walk in and say what they were? And you're like, yeah, I, I, I rule in your favor. I did hear the case and then I wrote ruled in favor of the artist. So impressive. <laughs> it, it was, there was a lot of like, stop. I need to hear this person <laughs> order in the court. Uh, and then girl underground with the designer of Girl Underground. Nice. So she was in from New Zealand. That was really cool. Woodfin also played in that one. But basically it's Alice in, Alice in Wonderland or Wizard of Oz where you have a, a person who is usually young, who f- never in any story, who falls into a, a fantastical world and finds a bunch of companions to uh, help them on their journey of discovery uh also pbta right yes it's pbta with like it's a very light pbta system like there's no like move sheet like the only moves you have are on your on your character and the the you can as you turn things from rules to virtues like there's a lot of rules you're like oh these are lady uh girls are always mannered and never vex anybody and you know prim and proper saves the day you know all this all these like rules that you know generally women and people have to you know get ingrained it was a lot of those like we wrote those out and then when we subverted those expectations then we marked those out and flipped them over and they became like we we wrote a new rule and whenever that applied that gave us an extra die to roll. So like set, uh, seven plus was a success. Nine plus was a full success, but you could roll, uh, you know, five or six dice and take the two best. If you hadn't, if you had enough of those rules flipped over and the, uh, girl in the ground, uh, passed around the table. So there wasn't somebody that was always the center of attention, one of the companions would always just like, oh, I've played this for now. It's now it's your turn. And I think it's a really interesting light implementation of the power by the apocalypse system. Cause that's, I think that's one of the things about most of the current power of the apocalypse is it's a little bloated. Like we get into the point where there's too many moves. Like, what are you supposed to do? So anyways, that was really cool. I'm hoping to, uh, that was one of the big takeaways for this is just 
talking to people and like networking with them. And I use the uh, Full Metal RPG dice as my calling card. So it's like, yeah, just think of me when you roll the, you know, roll these. And if you have something interesting, let me know. So, but yeah, that was that. And then Heroes of the Hearth, which was basically you're playing the heroes, the the people that stay behind when the heroes go off on their hero journey. So that was really cool. We didn't have enough time to finish that, but even in four hours. So, <laughs> so yeah, I played lots of games. It was a lot of fun. Um, does anybody have anything else they'd like to say before we wrap this up? You didn't end up GMing anything I this did, trip, did you? I did not. And okay. I usually don't volunteer to GM at most uh, con- away conventions. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I usually do because that's how I get practice GMing for my myself but right um i well now that i don't do any more conventions like the my home convention arizona game fair is now uh concluded we're no longer doing that and uh i might be helping daryl shout out to daryl uh uh i might run something for him but since i'm no longer doing organizing of conventions i might start gming again at conventions yeah so that was just, you know, I'm not going <laughs> to volunteer. I, Cause I did do that one year. I did volunteer, run a bunch, uh, design all the schedules and then run some games. And that was a lot. That's a lot. So. Yeah. I think the only thing we haven't mentioned is the, uh, the fun incident last night, which on discord got oh labeled the game. No one demanded. Yeah, that was, that was startling. Mrs. Buzzkill knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Our uh, fun fire drill at oh, 1 a.m. <laughs> sorry, I, I've been trying to like forget the fact that there was a 1 a.m. Like the fire alarm went off like we were back in college dorm rooms and someone was smoking in the room or some shit. Yeah. So did you even make it out of the room before they canceled it? We made it into the stairwell. Nice. Yeah, we made it almost outside when it got canceled. I was talking to a couple of guys um, this morning that were like, yeah, I like made it 20 feet from my room and then it got canceled. I'm like, I should have moved at that pace because then maybe I could have gone back to sleep faster. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was also thinking at that time, I'm like, I wonder how many 9 a.m. games just got completely canceled by this this 1 a.m. wake up call. Yeah, that that was the the worst part. I mean, it was. The worst part was waking up. The second worst part was the fact that the fire alarm flashing light continued to flash after the alarm went off. It was ringing, too. So it was like ringing and flashing. I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. Is this ever shutting off? It took a while for them to figure out how to shut all that off. So, But, yeah, that was, I mean, uh, luckily that doesn't happen all the time. No, and that was definitely not the convention's (laughs) fault. That was the fun quirk of the hotel that we were staying at. But, yeah, fun story for, for years to come, I'm sure. Oh, Tyler actually has something brought up that is probably something that we should mention um, before we get out of here. And yeah, do you want to do you want to talk about it? Uh, sure. The um, Big Bad Con has something they call the Big Bad Morgan Ellis Award. Uh, Morgan Ellis was a gamer and friend of the convention uh, who passed away in 2021. And since then, they've been doing this award in memory of him. Um, in addition to that, what we actually uh, looked at and actually partook in was this Morgan Ellis game library. Uh, Kayla is a big fan of the tiny library where you build like a, a library and you can have it in front of your house. It's basically leave a book, take a book type thing. And that's kind of what the Morgan Ellis game library is. If you go there and you find a book or a, a RPG or whatever, it's speaks to you, um, take it and leave a note in the book. And uh, I, I think this is just so awesome because obviously there's a lot of uh, libraries right around, but and a lot of libraries have, have gaming clubs or whatever attached to them. But I'm wondering how many of them have actual like RPGs or things that people can actually take out uh, games from. So this is a really interesting concept. And I'm wondering if we could set up something with our local library and have donated RPGs for that sort of thing. 
Yeah, and I think more importantly, this is a lot of indie RPGs that that um, Morgan had donated. Um, well, basically, they took his whole entire bookshelf and and laid out so that people that like couldn't afford or just found something interesting or wanted to like share it with the world could pick up. And um, so I ended up picking up a like twist on um, Small Eyes, Big Mouth. Big Eyes, Small Eyes. Um, big, yes, that one. Um, I've, I haven't ran it yet. I have the like big rule book, what right. fourth edition or whatever. Sure. Um, but this one like twists it so that you're playing. Um, it's kind of like a goth twist, and you play the monsters oh, okay. instead of the heroes. So I'm gonna have to read through it um, and see if I can like implement that in any therapy sessions because I thought that sounded like a lot of fun, especially for kiddos. Yeah, I feel like. Uh, you know, the, the tiny library thing is pretty cool. You know, I've seen the tiny pantry stuff as well. Like, I feel like, you know, everybody needs something different and the, uh, setting up your, uh, you know, obviously I, I think they're, they're doing donations for that. Right. Or whatever, which is great. But I, I think also doing, you know, going to those little tiny libraries and putting in some RPG books, maybe you're not using all the time or whatever, would be a really great move to kind of spread the word and be like, "What's this thing?" You know, and, yeah. and um, but yeah, that's that's a fantastic idea. I did see that uh, the the thing, and I thought it was kind of, I didn't I didn't have a lot of time, so I didn't. I was like, "Oh, it had a an in memoriam book in front of it," and I assumed that was actually like the in memoriam like people were like putting like teddy bears aka rpg books on this table to like a celebration of this person like as a as a donation yeah so i think that in that book people were writing just like messages of thank you um i'm assuming it's going to get to morgan's family Mm. um after the con to see like where the books ended up or who ended up taking them or kind of like get a little bit more backstory so of course i put a little blurb in there about what i do and um that hopefully that book can go on and help other people or at least um help their love of gaming in some way and I think that that was kind of the point was that Morgan loved games so much that let's spread the love of gaming to basically everyone that's attending the convention. Full disclosure, I did not know Morgan Ellis. Um, I just know that this convention really did want to make sure that he was honored um, after he passed away. Yeah, I'll, I'll put I'll put a link to it in the show notes in case you want to look, check it out. Uh, very cool. Well, thank you very much uh, for that. Uh, I think we're... I think that was Big Bad Con, right? Yeah, that was Big Bad Bad Con. See him, see everyone next year, hopefully. Hopefully, uh, we can figure that out, or we'll see you at another convention somewhere. Or along. we'll just see you at our annual friend convention and call it. <laughs> well, yes, we'll. I will see you guys. Not all of you, though. You will hear about the friend. Yeah, convention no, not as everyone well. is invited to my house for a friend convention. <laughs> that's just not a thing that's going to happen. We we don't need a uh, balance stock. No, <laughs> my neighbors would not be happy. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, if you enjoyed this. Uh, we appreciate you very much. Uh, c- check out the patreon.com slash full metal RPG or just fullmetalrpg.com for, you know, all the merch and all the ways you can interact. Uh, come on the discord and harass me for my terrible pronunciation of something. I, I always appreciate that. Uh, but stay for the cool people and the great takes that are on the discord. Uh, thank you very much, everybody. Good night. Ah.